from API. This is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm Jane Van Ryan. If you fill up your own gasoline tank, you've probably seen a sign on the pump indicating that the fuel could contain up to 10% ethanol. Ethanol, which in this country is made primarily from corn, is a fuel additive that boosts octane and changes other properties of the fuel. Now, most engines are designed for E10, which is gasoline containing 10% ethanol, but at levels higher than that, ethanol can become problematic. Still, the Environmental Protection Agency is considering plans to raise the ethanol concentration in gasoline. Now, a few years ago, automakers and oil companies formed the Coordinating Research Council to conduct research on fuels and vehicles. And recently, the CRC and others, including the U.S. Department of Energy, began testing fuels such as E15 and E20, which contain 15% and 20% ethanol, respectively. Now, API sponsors an open meeting three times a year for all interested parties to exchange test results and other information concerning these so-called mid-level ethanol blends. And along with an engineer from General Motors, Al Jessel of Chevron serves as the group's co-chair. Welcome, Al. Thank you very much, Shane. Let's try to give some information now to our listeners about why the varying levels of ethanol are becoming increasingly important these days and why there's a bit of a debate about that. So first of all, what precisely is the Environmental Protection Agency proposing to do? Well, first, first of all, we have to understand that there is a limit to the amount of ethanol that can be put in gasoline as of now, according to EPA rules. And this is a result of the so-called gasohol waiver, which was issued by the EPA back, uh, you know, 30 years ago. And what's happened is that a group of ethanol producers have petitioned the EPA to allow a higher level of ethanol and gasoline, 15% instead of the 10%, which is the current limit. Under the law, EPA has to consider that petition and decide whether to grant it or not. If they do not grant it, of course, gasoline will stay at the 10% ethanol limit. But if they do grant it, then it can rise to 15%. And that's the subject of the petition and the subject of the testing that's now going on uh, to, to try to back the, the claims of the petitioners. Now, your research also has looked at what happens when the ethanol level is raised to 20%, correct? That, that's correct. What, what we've done um, is, is to try to start with the highest level of ethanol one could contemplate putting in gasoline and, and using it in engines that are currently on the road. And if it, so, so we start with E20. And if E20 doesn't show any kind of problem, then we feel as though we can safely uh, use E15 in a car without any particular problem. Um, it is, you, you have to understand that the cars, because the ethanol level has been limited to 10% that are on the road right now, and, and off-road vehicles, um, are all designed to work with no more than 10%. So the, the testing to show whether 15 will work is, uh, is, is something that is a little bit tricky and needs to be undertaken with care because you can't really test every vehicle. You have to be careful to choose the, uh, a, a vehicle population that will really be representative of, of what people will uh, experience with their own cars. Well, what has your research shown so far? Well, what, what happens when you add ethanol to gasoline 
is that it tends to what we call lean out the mixture. It's just a little bit too, more, too much oxygen because ethanol brings oxygen into the gasoline. And when that happens in, a, in, a, in an older engine, the combustion temperatures tend to rise, and the combustion temperatures then lead to higher exhaust temperatures. And, of course, the emissions control equipment, which is on cars these days, are all in the exhaust system. Um, newer cars, however, adjust to a certain extent for that extra ethanol. And, and so the, the question is whether, because they were designed for 10, how will they adjust well enough to do 15? So that's what the testing is all about, and that's the question before us. Will 15% still be okay for the cars that were designed for 10%? Um, should be, it should be understood, though, that there are, there, there are categories of vehicles which really are not going to be able to use more than 10%, and, and EPA acknowledges this. The, um, the EPA is proposing to now to waive just a portion of the vehicles, not the entire vehicle and engine population, but just a portion. The portion would be those vehicles that have sophisticated emissions control equipment now on them, such that there is a chance that they will be uh, uh, sufficiently adjusted to tolerate the higher uh, ethanol blends. But the rest of the vehicles, the 2001, excuse me, 2000 and before model years and off-road vehicles are not being considered, at least by the EPA, for, uh, for uh, use of the E15. And that's because off-road vehicles generally don't have any emissions control equipment that help adjust the air-fuel ratio that ethanol tends to change. And cars before model year 2001, some of them have this kind of equipment, but it's not very sophisticated. And so the, the concern is that uh, they might not adjust well enough for E15 in, in order to be able to use it without any kind of problem. Well, Al, if I understand you properly, it sounds like what you're saying is then that what the EPA is considering doing is having service stations install yet another pump and another underground tank where you would have E10 available for some cars and then E15 or E20 or something in that range available for newer cars. Is that correct? Well, the, the EPA, all the EPA really has to do under this petition is to allow the fuel, a new fuel, to be used. Of course, it's up to the oil companies uh, and our, our retailers to decide whether to actually offer the fuel. So, so the waiver that EPA is proposing to issue is only step one in the process. And, and step two, four, five, and on through 10 or 20 <laughs> are going to be up to the fuel supplier and the fuel re re retailer to make sure that everything else that needs to be done uh, is done properly before we, we actually market the fuel. And there are a number of steps. They're regulatory and they're legislative, and, and there, there's other testing that has to go on uh, before I, I think most oil companies would feel comfortable in, in marketing the fuel. Some, some of those things uh, include some of the issues that are being tested within the CRC that the EPA does not appear to need in order to grant a waiver. The EPA is primarily concerned with emissions control equipment, so the testing that they're sponsoring along with the Department of Energy is primarily interested in looking at the impact on emissions. However, our customers see other things besides emissions changes when, when engines don't run properly. For instance, the check engine light can come on if, uh, if, if potentially if the fuel is not that which is designed for, for the car, or it could not come on when it really should come on. 
Um, all, all, there are other problems. Potentially, um, there could be excess engine wear. Uh, there could be some fuel system compatibility problems. Not all the the components in a fuel system were designed for E10 any more than the rest of the components of the car. So, a lot of the testing that CRC is now doing is also looking at the issues that a customer would face. Um, and, and we're especially interested as an oil industry in that because we are the entity which, which uh, deals directly with a customer in supplying fuels. So that particular testing, and this is the, one of the interesting parts of what's going on right now, uh, it is ongoing, but it's going to take maybe another year to complete. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that ESPA has been asked to act on this waiver um, originally by this summer. They put it off for a few months, and they're talking about uh, uh, completing their actions on the waiver uh, in two parts, actually, part one, part one earlier this fall and then, uh, and then part two later in the fall. And we, we believe that that's premature. Uh, much of the emissions testing may be complete by then, the part that the Department of Energy is doing, but there is some emissions testing that will still be ongoing that the CRC is sponsoring. And then there are these other issues that I just mentioned that concern consumers. Uh, that and that testing won't be done by the time EPA is talking about issuing the waiver. Also, well, it sounds to me that the automakers also should be concerned about this. If, for instance, consumers end up putting fuel in their vehicles with a higher concentration of ethanol than uh, is suggested in the warranty, what kind of a problem does that create for automakers? Well, of course, that's a question that are placed to the automakers. Um, but given that the Coordinating Research Council is a, is a joint operation between the autos and the oils, we've had a lot of contact with the automobile companies in, in, in understanding their concerns. And, and given that they are pitching in a lot of time and a fair amount of money into the CRC program, um, I think that's a pretty good indication they have some, uh, some similar concerns, of course. They're going to be pressed to honor warranties for a fuel that their cars uh, were not necessarily designed for. And, and, of course, there's the whole issue of all the cars that are out there that aren't covered by warranties. And, 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 and we've all got to be concerned about those, not just the auto companies. Now, ethanol is corrosive. I've heard that for a number of years. So is there also research being done on how gasoline with higher ethanol levels might affect gasoline pumps, storage tanks, and other parts of the gasoline delivery system? Um, yes, of course. Uh, API, in conjunction with the Department of Energy, is conducting a, a rather comprehensive look at all the equipment that will come into contact with, uh, with a higher level of, of ethanol in the gasoline. All the components that you just measured, uh, mentioned excuse me, are, uh, are being examined to make sure that they're compatible. And to the extent that they're not, uh, those components will have to be replaced before E15 could be marketed. And, but to the extent that they are compatible, then, uh, then they won't have to be. So it's going to be part of the many, many uh, things that will have to be done should a waiver be issued before uh, E15 could be marketed. So basically, it sounds like this comes down to a, a very complicated and potentially costly issue. You've got research that's ongoing, but it won't be finished before the EPA expects to issue a waiver, correct? 
that's that's the implication we're getting from the ETA, which is a little bit surprising to us, but uh, we, we can't um, deny that that's the message that they're sending. So what do you think the EPA should do at this point when there are still so many unknowns about the operating, the operations of the cars, the concerns about consumers, and so on? Well, it's a little hard to understand the hurry that EPA is in. First of all, the petitioners for E15 didn't supply a lot of the data that EPA really needed to make a judgment. Um, but the simple fact of the matter is, is that the, the research is ongoing. We have a, you know, a very nice program set up with the auto companies, which is going to take, as I mentioned before, roughly another year to complete. And it seems to us that EPA simply ought to wait until that program is done. And, and should that program show no harm, then the waiver uh, you know, is, is, a, is a logical outcome of that. However, it, it, and they do need to wait until the research is done because the research could show that there's a problem. If there's a problem, really, EPA should not issue a waiver. So that the key to all this is to wait until the research is done. Al Jessel, thank you so much for explaining this issue to us. Clearly, we'll be hearing a lot more about this in the very near future. And thank you for joining us today on Energy Tomorrow Radio. Thank you very much, Jane. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.